You're listening to the Metamore City Podcast, special episode number three, for August 23rd, 2008. Warning, this episode contains mature themes and situations. Listener discretion is advised. Metamore City, a podcast series created by Chris Lester. For more information, please visit www.metamorecity.com. Hello, Metamorphs. I am your guest host, Brian Watson. You may know me as the voices of Brian Summers and Artax here on the Metamorph City Podcast. I'm also a writer, and one night, when Chris and I were having dinner after church, I asked him a few pointed questions about the overall story arc of Metamorph City. These questions were to help in my endeavors to write this and future stories for the podcast. So, yeah, as you know, we're taking a break from making the cut right now while Chris settles into his new life and career in California. And we've got something to bring up about that career during the outro, so make sure you stick around for that. Anyway, like I was saying, I came to Chris with this story idea, and he was not only willing to put them up on the podcast, but he gave me a lot of advanced knowledge of what was to come. But my lips are sealed, so don't bother asking me what's going to happen. This story is a character-driven piece about Artax. I wrote it pretty easily, but then Chris wanted me to learn the joys of podcast editing. And as I've begun to put together the things that I'll need to start my own podcast in the relatively near future, I thought it would be a good idea. So the fact is that I wanted to have this story put together about two weeks ago, but dumb luck, the podcasting gods, and my own stupidity conspired against me on more than one occasion to keep this from happening. But through a little trial and a lot of error, I have finally put together an audio file for your listening enjoyment. We have over 30 minutes of story goodness for you, with more to come, I swear. But for now... Let's just start with part one of Make Believe. Make Believe by Brian Watson. For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Canticle of Eli, Book of Proverbs, Chapter 23, Verse 7. A dozen and a half young faces stare at me, waiting. Some of them are nervous, some angry, and one or two of them have the good sense to look ashamed. But on the whole, most of them simply look bored. One face, however, glares back at me with hatred, loathing, and contempt. I know his type. There's one in every one of these classes, it seems. And the sooner I disabuse him of the notion of his own importance in the grand scheme of things, the better. But as usual, I let him make the first move. Just because they're criminals doesn't mean that I have to be a hard-ass. You all know why you're here, I say as I pace slowly in front of them, making eye contact with each student. You've broken the law and removed your restraining collars. You've used your magical talents without registering yourselves with the Bureau of Magic Regulation. 
These laws have a purpose, not the least of which is preventing some overambitious group of youngsters from unleashing a second curse upon the city. However, since none of you have any previous criminal convictions, and since in the last several months you've all shown at least some willingness to work within the system instead of against it, you've been sent to me. My name is Artax, but for the next year you will simply be addressing me as Teacher. I allow my pacing to lead me a little farther up towards the front of the room. That way, when I stop, turn, and fix my eyes on the one student sitting in the middle of the back row, not coincidentally, the one with burning hatred in his eyes, they all feel my gaze. But know this, I say after a pause, you have escaped nothing. Most of you will be wishing you'd opted to finish out your sentences before I'm through with you. I am a harsh teacher. I do not tolerate foolishness, and I will not hesitate to make an example of any one of you should you step out of line. But before you contact your caseworkers and ask to go back to your detention facilities, know this. This is your one chance, your only chance, at ever using your magical talents again. You walk out of here, and you walk into a life of mediocrity. You will be choosing a life where you will be no greater than anybody else, and in fact, you will be less than a great many. Are there any questions? Silence. There's always silence at first. Very good, I say. Then let us begin. At least that's how it usually goes. This time... This time I should have known better. It, it was different. I... I should have known. Saturdays are always busy in the morning. People are in a good mood. They've just been paid, they didn't have to get up to some shrill electronic device, and most of them get to look forward to the same thing the next day. Of course, those of us who make our incomes by catering to the public whims don't get to indulge in such luxuries. The word weekend is something of a cuss word to those people who work in retail and food service, and if the rest of the world gave us much thought, then perhaps they'd treat us a bit differently. But then I really can't complain. While my shop is open to the public, the merchandise I sell is of such a specialized nature that most people actually do treat me as if I know what I'm talking about. Which I do. Those who ignore me or the instructions that come with each and every bit of merchandise I sell do so at their own risk. And if you wonder how it is that I can work in a field where people are overworked, underpaid, and generally overlooked by the very people who depend on their services while still maintaining at least some shred of my sanity... I'll just direct you to look at the sign over the register that says, Because I'm a wizard. That's how. Despite the fact that practitioners of magic have been operating in open for longer than history has been written, despite the fact that every single person in this city is touched one way or another by some powerful bit of magic daily, people still view wizards and sorcerers as great men and women of mystery. Despite the fact that by high school, even a student without any magical abilities will have been taught the laws and limitations of magic, people still think that magic can do anything. To be sure, we can do more than most, but we still have our limitations. One of mine is dealing with clueless people. 
I close early on Saturdays as my afternoons and evenings are tied up in something of a community service project that I started some years ago when I first came to the city. I'm usually happy to deal with people. Well, I'm willing at least. But one day each year sees a new beginning to that project. On those days, I always seem to have someone who doesn't know what the words closing early mean. Okay, I've got like two major problems, the young woman said to me. First, like, my mother is totally allergic to my cat, and she can't visit. I love her, but I don't want to get rid of Arali. Arali being your cat, not your mother, I presume. Her face went blank for a moment, then the connection was made. Oh, yeah, totally. Well, a simple histamine blocker from your local pharmacy is probably your best bet. But if you're set on using a magical remedy, you could try this little number. I handed her a small file made of blue glass. It's essentially a magical histamine blocker, but there's also a mild mental suppressant that helps the taker relax and lets the medicine work more quickly. It's a bit more costly than its pharmacological cousin, but some people prefer it. Great, she said, taking the file from me. This is perfect. She began to make her way to the register. I believe you said that there were two problems? She paused and seemed to be trying to remember if she had in fact said as much. It was something a lot like waiting for an elevator, watching the numbers light up one by one as the lift car slowly approaches your floor. Oh, right. Okay, my boyfriend and I have been having some major trust issues for a while now. I won't bore you with the details. I said a small prayer of thanks to as many gods as I could think of on the spot. But I was told that there were some potions that could give mundane humans low levels of telepathy. For just a second, I started to wonder what her game was. Oh, sweet! Are these unicorns made out of real silver? She held one up before me, her eyes wide like a child who's just discovered that they have a gift waiting for them. Some of them are, I said. Others are just silver-plated. Many kitchlenders use them in ceremonial wedding spells. Now the potions you'd be looking for are over here. I handed her another file, making certain to grab one of the green ones. When she made to take it from me, I pulled it away a little. Two things first, Ms... She looked blankly at me for another half-second. Oh, Caitlin. We weren't winning any academic scholarships in school, were we? Out loud, I said. Right then, Miss Caitlin. As I said, there are two things you must know before I can let you purchase these two potions. The first is that this potion, I held up the green file, is a somewhat modified version of Shimmer. That's a mild sigh enhancer. This is not like a potion that will mimic some aspect of the curse, help you sleep, or cure a case of the sniffles. This is dangerous magic here. It allows you to see into places where most people wouldn't wish to go. This will temporarily open a door that most people would just as soon leave closed if they were aware that it was there. The second, and most important, is that these potions must never be mixed. I know that one is for you and one for your mother, but each of these files contains multiple doses, and should somebody using one get it into their head to use the other, the consequences would be very serious indeed. For once, she showed some wisdom, swallowed, then nodded. I let her have the second file. Now, if there isn't anything else, we do close early on Saturdays. Unless you'd still like one of these unicorns. What I can't believe is that you talked her into one of the imported models, Levinson said. I didn't talk her into anything, I said. I merely mentioned that those particular models were made in the very land where they came into use in the first place. She convinced herself to buy it. Whatever you say, Artax. 
And while we're on the subject of what was going on inside my shop, just what were you doing out there? Somebody could have noticed you. He snorted, though I'm not really sure how he did it. Oh, please. You think I can't smell a teep a mile away? I managed to stay out of Shirabi's way the entire time she was here, didn't I? That's true, I said. Oh, she was mostly confined to one room during her tenure here. But she's still a teep. Even if her telepathy's pretty pathetic, she'd have a hard time missing me. If nothing else, she or one of the other women who brought her in could have noticed you talking to your plants. I looked up at the succulent asphodelaceae plants that grew in their pots all around my shop in its various rooms. They're bland, unassuming plants, and most people don't notice that they're in nearly every room. They could at that, I said. But since they all think I'm mad anyway, I think it could just add to the mystery that is me. So how come those ladies never come around anymore? I figured Danny at least would feel some affection for all the help you gave her. I don't think that Mr. Summers likes me very much, I said, starting to dig through my desk drawers for the things I'd need for the upcoming classes. You're probably right, but then I know his type. He's not really a fighter, not at heart. He'd rather find another way of resolving conflicts. It's one of his more admirable traits. I began looking over the two lists of names, scrying a bit into each one's life. Scrying is a useful talent. If a person learns how, they can look at a person, a formula, a building anything, really, and see into its future, its past, its potential. That said, scrying is a lot like wiggling your ears. It's easy if you know how to do it. It's also not perfect. Strike that. It may well be perfect. Perhaps it's just that people aren't. I've been scrying for as long as I can remember. Nobody taught me. I've just always known how. Much like how some people naturally know how to carry a tune or how to play an instrument without having to take any lessons. It gives me what some might call an unfair advantage in life, but when people grow up how I grew up, they'll tell you that they grab hold of every advantage that they can get. This is mine, and I use it. Though unfortunately, not all of the time. Levinson wasn't done, though. My point, Artax, is that nobody but you feels at home here. This is a place of business, I said. It is not a condominium. You know damn well that I am not talking about that. Even your best most frequent and reliable customers usher themselves out of here as soon as they have what they came for. Nobody lingers. Nobody chats. Do you even have any friends? I turned once again to face the plant, though it was really pointless to do so. A being of pure thought could see me just as well if I were facing one direction as any other. Of course I have friends. Really? If he'd had a body, he'd be leaning it against the wall with his arms folded across his chest. Name one. I turned back to my work. I really don't see the point in this, I said. And I don't see how you think I'd be fooled by you stalling for time. I am not stalling. I have work to do. Changing the subject, then. The end result is you don't have an answer to my question. Ms. Drowling, I said, not even bothering to look up from my work. Levinson sounded thoughtful. I might buy that, he said after a bit of a pause. If you two didn't seem to want to make it your personal mission to destroy the dating scene of the greater metro area. For my part, it's actually a complicated form of evangelism, I told him. Shouldn't you be contemplating the nature of the universe or something? That's what we have the elf for. Why are you so anxious to be rid of me? Because Because I don't don't care for reminders of the past. Out loud, I said. I told you already. I have work to do to prepare for the next class. He sighed, although again, I'm not really sure how. Which, despite your insistence that only the players change, is a brand new group of people. 
Each one is different, and yet you continue to insist on treating each one of them the same. You're the only one who remains the same. Maybe that's the problem. I don't see how that could be, I said. When you do, then maybe we can actually talk about this. I looked up to say something to that, though to be honest, I wasn't sure exactly what I could say. But there was a subtle emptiness in the room that told me Levinson was already gone. Each student's file has been reviewed and verified as accurate by the student in question. I have the caseworkers do this because it forms a personal connection between the person in question and their file. I could scry into their lives without this, but with the connection made, scrying is easier and more effective. Levinson doesn't believe me, but there really are patterns to every class that I get. One that presents itself every single time is one student who seems to be angry at everything. I was three-quarters of the way through the files before I found the one for this class. How do I describe to you what scrying is like? Let's say you're looking at two people playing a game of catch. It would seem like a simple enough game to most people, but there are more variables at play than you might realize. Most of the time, one person throws the ball, and the other catches it. Simple. But then the ball goes high. Or wide. Or it falls short. The ball may hit the other player in the forehead or he may have to dive to catch it. The person trying to catch the ball may suddenly sneeze, or the person throwing may drop it. The possibility for any one of those things to happen, and dozens more like them, comes up each and every time one person goes to do something as simple as throwing a ball to somebody else. And by scrying, you could see each and every one of them. Now imagine that you can see all of those things happening at one time. Some the more likely outcomes are more solid, more clear than the others less likely to occur. Now imagine that by really trying, you can focus on one aspect, one outcome, and not only see how probable it is, but how it is likely to play out. That, in a nutshell, is scrying. And the big secret that gods and magic users alike don't want people to know is that nearly anybody can do it. The troublemaker for this class was one John Tunstall. I looked deeper into his life and almost wished that I hadn't. I saw him speaking with passion and anger, rallying people, the others from his class, I realized, into some kind of action. And somehow, I knew that he was speaking about me. I saw him stalking the city streets, deliberately seeking me out. I saw him in a room of terrified people, power pouring out of upraised hands as the ceiling crumbled down around them. I saw him standing over my own body as it lay unmoving on the ground. I saw him dressed in the black combat fatigues of a battle mage. This one had power and a chip on his shoulder. And now, he was my responsibility. Wonderful. I could have sworn that I heard a soft (laughs) chuckle from the small altar to Klepnos that I maintained in the next room. Levinson is wrong. I do have one very good friend but he shows his affection by constantly trying to get me killed. Maybe I do need to get out more often. One final thing that you must understand about scrying is this. The future is moldable and malleable. Some things are destined to happen, yes, but most destinies are followed up by free will. What I saw wasn't bound to happen, just the most likely outcome of a particular path. 
and I kept telling myself that every time I looked down another line and I saw the same thing. The point I'm trying to make is this. We're more evolved than other humans. It's as simple as that. So why do you keep telling us that we should serve them? I regarded the student who had asked the question. He was good-looking, tall, and better spoken than most of his classmates. Better spoken than most people his age, really. But still he was young and he had a lot to learn. Because, Master Gibbons, magic comes from life itself. It serves life and so we must serve life as well. Magic comes from mana. And maybe there's mana in a lot of things, but it's humans who know how to access it. Humans, elves, and even some animals can manipulate magic, I said. And people who have no inner pools of mana can still access magic through rituals. No, mana powers magic, much in the same way that electricity powers a skimmer. Without some spark of sentience to guide magic, it is useless and possibly dangerous. And as to your statement of the magician being more evolved than other humans, well, I've some telepathic friends who might disagree with you. Sentient species have been using magic since time immemorial, and in terms of percentages, our numbers aren't that much greater now than they were two millennia ago. Nor has the nature of magic itself changed much. Our approach to it has changed, and yes... We have learned to harness it in new ways. But the simple mechanics of the process are essentially the same now as they were when this city was nothing more than a castle in a strategically important valley. What you need to remember is... I was interrupted by one of the city's civil defense alarms. The tones and duration of the klaxons told us that the threat was an attack by a magical person or persons. That wasn't good. The police had mages on its force, and they were good enough for most cases. I had worked with some of them before. But if whoever this was was powerful enough to warrant a citywide alert, then it might well be out of their league. It could be a she-lord, a demigod, or even one of the gods themselves, which would mean light-bringers. It might even be somebody like one of these young people strung out on Spellfire, which could be worse than any of those other options. While Lothanasi involvement would be a foregone conclusion if the threat were a she-lord or some disgruntled ex-deity, a creature like that will usually have some sense of self-preservation. That means they might be convinced to stop without the use of force, but a mortal mage causing trouble would be entirely a police matter. The mages who worked for the city's police department and the Lothanasi were good enough at their jobs, though I'd never admit that to the Lightbringers outright. But if the threat is big enough, they both have a tendency to cast first and ask questions later. Though I wasn't technically a member of either organization, my name still commands some respect in their circles. If I could get to the site of the disturbance quickly enough, I might be able to keep people, on both sides, from getting killed. Our class will have to be cut short for today, I told the students. Please remain here until either I return or official sources report that the crisis has passed. At that time, you will be taken back to your facility. I nodded to their caseworkers and the pair of guards that had come with them as I headed for the door. Before I could reach it, a shadow fell across my path. I wondered if he saw me stiffen. I wonder if he noticed that I hesitated before I turned to face him. 
Master Tunstall, is it? He was standing there, his left foot forward, most of his weight on his right foot. A fighter's stance, even if he didn't have his hands up for it. Yes, teacher. I think we might be able to help you. Some of us, anyway. He kept watching me, tensing each time I moved, though it was hard to notice. He was a bundle of barely contained nervous energy. I did my best not to provoke him. Master Tunstall, I'm not going out to investigate a cloud of funny colored smoke or a malfunctioning charm. Whatever is out there is dangerous and well out of your league. None of you, none of you, are prepared for whatever it is that is out there doing God's know what. You're not even sure what it is. Damn right, I said. And Revenos take me if I'm going to lead a bunch of children into some unknown magical danger. His eyes narrowed. We're not children. Maybe we're not adults, but we're sure as hell not kids. We're something in between, but I think we're old enough to make some decisions ourselves. And look where it's gotten you, I said. He towered over me, but then I'd never been that tall, even when I'd been a young man. My earlier sense of caution forgotten, I looked him square in the eyes, and he actually wilted a little. I made sure that my voice could be heard by the entire class. In a few months, some of you may be ready for some very limited and very controlled fieldwork. But not today. As of today, none of you have proven to me that you're ready to be trusted with anything. When we meet for our next class, we can discuss precisely how it is that you can earn my trust. But until then, you are to remain here until... I get back. And what if you don't? His voice was lowered so that only I could hear. I matched his tone. Master Tunstall, if I don't come back, then whatever is out there is more dangerous than any of us can imagine. And you won't have long to worry about the fact. That wasn't strictly true, of course, but perhaps a healthy dose of fear and uncertainty would get him to finally sit down. Eventually... And rather reluctantly, he did. I waited until I'd closed and locked the door to let out the breath I'd been holding. The kid has a point. I put on one of the sets of black fatigues that hung in my closet. I keep hoping each time I'm forced to put them on that the enchantment on them will have worn off and they won't fit anymore. But they always do. And eventually, I know that I've run out of excuses. Perhaps, I said, but I'm not going to be responsible for anyone's death if I have anything to say on the matter. If Levinson had a body, he'd be leaning it in the doorway. You say that, but you can't always control who gets affected by your actions. I jerked my head up sharply to look at the plant in this room. I don't know if he felt my gaze or just decided to amend his statement on his own. I'm not talking about me or my people here. I'm just speaking in general. We don't always know where our actions will lead us. We just need to make the best decisions that we can with the information we have available to us. You tell them to stay here, but what if whoever is out there decides on a whim that you're too powerful to leave alone and drops a curse on the place? Even you couldn't be expected to see that coming, and yet you'd blame yourself all the same. If you're trying to make me feel better about myself... You're not doing a very efficient job. I'm not trying to make you feel better. I'm trying to make you realize that not every person in this world, this city, or hells, even in that classroom over there, is your personal responsibility. Yes, 
maybe you influence some of them in ways that even you can't understand, but their lives are still their own. They make choices, and they have to live with them. It's what being human is all about. Well, I have to live with some of my choices. Choices that I had no right to make. Choices that cost an incalculable price. Not only from the people who got in the way, but from people who had no idea what they would be walking in two years later. And I do not want any more blood on my hands. What there is will never wash off. The sad part is that you really believe that. But really, I think you're afraid that if you do try to wash that blood off, you just might succeed. And then he was gone. A moment later, so was I. The police had set up a headquarters in a small gourmet food store on Metamore's uppermost level. They were going over some blueprints when I came in. Our tax? The cautious greeting came from an attractive young woman. Detective Kitane, so good to see you again. She arched an eyebrow and looked over my shoulder and out the window. Yes, our tax, lovely. Oh, posh. If you're going to besmirch our reunion with unpleasant news about your job, I may just stop coming around entirely. She smiled, one of her humorless smiles. I'm sure. Her gaze trailed over to an area just above my left shoulder. I'm also sure you were told that this area is off-limits to civilians. I followed her gaze to the man at my left-hand side. Now that you mention it, I believe that this gentleman did say something to that effect, yes. And that's when you... Certainly not. I'm no bully. The smile, cold and humorless as it was, left her face entirely. Then why? Because the baboon tried to force me away. I taught him the very valuable lesson that one should be careful about grabbing strangers in this city. You might want to give him the rest of the night off, by the way. I think it would be for the best. Do you think you might set him down first? I might, I said. If I were convinced that he wouldn't try anything stupid, now some of the humor of the situation did break through into her eyes, but it disappeared quickly. Yeah, it would be pretty bad for your reputation if you were beaten by a man dressed like that. Now, detective, don't be insensitive. This is a standard MCPD uniform. I've just provided a few embellishments, for aesthetic's sake. Artax? MCPD uniforms are dark blue, not pink. As I said, aesthetics. The frills and lace, of course, were my own personal touches. She had it controlled now, but there was a part of her that would find this funny if she weren't in the middle of it. And the ears? The rabbit ears that had sprouted from the man's head were the same shade of pink as his new uniform. Purely decorative, I said. His own ears should be just fine. And this sort of spell breaks at dawn. Usually. I broke the levitation spell that had been holding the man off the floor, and Kitane sent the man home for the night. Now what are you doing here, Artax? I should think that would be obvious, I said. I'm here to help. That's very gallant of you, Artax, but quite frankly, we can handle this ourselves. A fireball chose that time to fly just overhead of the building we were in, rattling the windows and setting off skimmer security alarms as it went. 
A few seconds later, the glow intensified as the sphere hit something not far from us. More sirens began wailing in the night air. I turned back to the detective and arched an eyebrow. so I hope that you liked my story. In lieu of playing promos for another podcast this episode, I think that we need to take a moment to bring up a problem that Chris has run into in his new job. Namely, insufficient funds to teach his students properly. While the school has been able to provide him with some funds, it's only a fraction of what he really needs to do the job properly. As such, a fundraiser has been set up over at ChipIn.com. Donations made to this site will go toward buying glassware, preserved specimens, and hopefully taking the students on a field trip to learn about the unique environmental challenges facing the Bay Area. Arise High School is registered as a not-for-profit organization, so all of your donations will be tax-deductible. You can donate by going to arisebiology.chipin.com. Dot com. That's A-R-I-S-E-B-I-O-L-O-G-Y dot C-H-I-P-I-N dot com. And I'm sure that there will be something in the show notes for you hyperlink lovers out there. Well, that's all I have for this episode. I'll talk to you all again soon. Sound effects for this episode were created in association with the Free Sound Project. Visit them on the web at www.freesound.org. Some of the music on this podcast was provided by the Podsafe Music Network. If you liked what you heard, much of the music is available for purchase at music.podshow.com. This podcast was released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.